somewhere in Richmond today, a woman is sitting and feeling a lot of pain. And she's in pain because years ago, she stood at an altar with a man and said, till death do us part, and now he's not doing his part, and they're, they're getting a divorce. And she doesn't know how exactly they got there. You could probably wind it back and try to figure it all out, but it's not where she wants to be. It's not how she imagined her life going. And today's maybe a good day for her. Maybe today she's able to actually get out of bed. But she's hurting, and what she feels is hopeless, and what she needs is some hope. Somewhere in Richmond today, a teenage boy is trying to figure out what it means to be a man. And he's growing up in a culture that sends all sorts of confusing messages about manhood and womanhood. And so he's trying to figure out where he sits in all of that and what it means. And he'd like to get insight from his dad, but his dad's kind of checked out. And his mom's doing the best she can, but there's only so much she can tell him. And so he's leaning into all sorts of things because he feels the pain of it. He feels the struggle of late adolescence and, and, and sort of growing up. And he feels, and he sort of numbs the pain with porn or video games or promiscuity or just kind of leans into anything he can to, to make it feel better. And, and, and he's hurting. And what he needs is hope. He needs hope that there's an end to this, that, that it's going to eventually be better. Somewhere in Richmond today, a, 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 a woman is struggling because she's a single mom and she's trying to raise this baby and, uh, and she doesn't have the money. It's just expensive and, and kids need to eat and she needs to eat and she's in the situation that maybe you've been in before where you're trying to figure out, do I pay rent or do I buy groceries? And I guess the answer always is groceries because you have to eat. But it's a hard situation to be in and she's feeling it and she's struggling and she's sitting there at the table saying, when is this going to get better? When can I, how am I going to be able to work? How am I going to get the education I need to get a better job to be able to provide for me and, and my daughter? And, and she's struggling alone and, and what she needs is hope. Somewhere in Richmond today, there's a, there's a guy who, who, uh, who, who, who was married for 34 years and um, and they had a beautiful marriage, and then six months ago, cancer took her life. And he sits alone today, having breakfast, and he sits alone at the table that they sat together, and maybe he even still puts a place setting out for her. And, and he remembers, the, he thinks about all the good times they had, but he's just sad, and he doesn't have a lot of friends nearby in Richmond, and even the friends that they had as a couple, he doesn't, is close to them anymore, and it's different now that she's gone and he feels alone, and, and, and he wonders if it's ever going to feel any better, if the, if the despair, if the grief will ever turn into anything better than that. And what he feels is hopeless, and what he needs is hope. You know, I'm convinced of this, that what you need and what I need, what we all need, is hope. We literally cannot live without it. If you are hopeless, eventually your health will deteriorate because God designed us to be creatures who are fueled by something on the horizon, that we are fueled by hope. And without it, we, we just end up slowly dying. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can remember the moment when you gave up hope. You can remember the day, the situation, the circumstance where things change, and if you look back on your life, maybe it was this year, maybe it's five years ago, 10 years ago, you go, that's the day I stopped hoping that this was going to change. That's the day I just accepted that nothing will ever change, and I'm just going to, and you just kind of threw in the towel, 
He'll never change. She'll never change. This circumstance will never change. This job will never change. This isn't going to get better ever. And you gave up hope and, and you know what that's like. And you're living, you're paying your bills, you're maybe even exercising, you're, you're doing some things to try to take care of yourself, but inside you sort of feel like I'm just going through the motions because I don't really think there's anything out there. I really don't think it's going to get better at all. And it's hard not to feel hopeless when you get sick and the doctors can't cure it. It's hard not to feel hopeless when someone you love gets sick and the doctors can't cure it. It's hard not to feel hopeless when you were clinging to a job and you were making these plans and goals for 2018 and they told you, hey, we can't afford to keep you on anymore and you lost that job. It's hard not to feel hopeless if you've been single for a while and you don't want to be and it's not happening. It's hard not to feel hopeless if you've been married for a while and it's not going well and you feel hopeless. It's hard not to feel hopeless if you work in a, in a social justice field where you're fighting systemic problems and year after year the, the, the compassion fatigue sets in and you go, man, this just isn't getting better. It's hard not to feel hopeless if you counsel people for a living and you're seeing people and you're not seeing enough change. You're not seeing it working and, and really, a lot of times, if you counsel people, no, you know, if they get better, they never come back in your office and schedule one more appointment to tell you how good it is, you know? You just hear how bad it is, and then they go away if it's better. And so it's hard not to feel hopeless in all of these situations. And maybe this isn't theoretical stories about people in Richmond. This is stories about people in this room. The people you're sitting next to might, right now, not be feeling a lot of hope. And there's something about Christmas that can just like magnify that thing. At this season where we're lighting candles and we're singing about love and joy and peace and it's joy to the world and peace on earth, goodwill to men and all of that stuff in the church, even in the culture to some degree. It's the love actually warmth and hugs and hot chocolate. When we're feeling all of that, it sort of magnifies our lack of hope. It can magnify the, what if, well, yeah, but the Christmas isn't great for me this year and it's not working out. And at a time we should be feeling hopeful, we're not. And, and, and that hurts us inside. In fact, ancient, this is a modern problem, but there's ancient, ancient answers to it. And, and it's, it was an ancient problem too. Solomon, several thousand years ago, listen to what he writes. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That's not a prescription. That's not telling you you need to go do something. He's just describing what is when hope is deferred for so long, when it's always put off and put off and put off, and you're not getting the thing or you're not reaching the goal or it's not happening for you for whatever reason, uh, it can make the heart sick. And maybe that's a word that describes us right now. Some of us feel heart sick. Our culture can add to the hopelessness if you uh, want to elect a, 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 a political leader and they didn't get elected, whichever one you want to get elected and it doesn't work, you feel hopeless. We hear about mass shootings going on all the time and it feels hopeless because it doesn't change. You hear about wars, you hear about genocide, you hear about all this pain in the world, um, starvation and, and suffering that's going on and it feels hopeless. And yet here we are in Advent and it's supposed to be a time of anticipation and excitement about the birth of Christ, and it's supposed to be a time of renewed hope. And maybe you're not feeling it. But you know, the first Christmas that we celebrate, the very first Christmas 2,000 years ago, happened at a time when things looked dark. Especially if you were a Jew, an Israelite, living in Israel in, in the first century, 
Historians estimate that Jesus was born somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C. So let's just say 5 B.C. If you start adding up, kind of looking at the different governors that were ruling that are mentioned in the Scripture, if you kind of cross-reference all those governors, Jesus was born roughly 5 B.C. And if you're a Jew living in Israel in 5 B.C., um, there's some challenges there. Mary gives birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not impressive. It, to this day, it's not impressive. It's a, it's a small town on the outside of Jerusalem. It's sort of hill country. It's kind of dusty there. Um, and it's, it's, it's just not a place that kings are born. It's not an exciting sort of place. And, and so for Mary to give birth there is sort of like, oh, the Bethlehem, that, that spot. I, 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 I don't want to give the modern day equivalent because I could offend people in the room, but that's actually not stopped me before. Uh, Goochland, I don't know. It's something. It's something like out there where you're like, um, you're like, oh, who's from there? That's that's Bethlehem, and 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 Mary gives birth there, and it's not exciting. This is the Roman Empire. The glory of Rome is not Bethlehem. It's 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 a it's the backwoods sort of place, and 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 that's probably how Mary's feeling about it. And also, if you're a Jew. You just are used to being dominated by cultures bigger and more powerful than you. Israel occupies a pretty choice piece of land on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, and Assyria and Babylon and Egypt, and, and, and now the Romans have come in, and they've taken, and they, they sort of plunder, and they make it their own. So you're being ruled by a people, by the Romans. Now, if you're a Roman, it's pretty cool to rule the world. If you're one of the people that are being ruled, it's a little less cool. A little less cool to be the conquered people, right? And that's the way the Jews are feeling in 5 BC. They're the conquered people, and so they don't like it. And the Romans think that the Jews are a bunch of backwoods, kind of rednecky, cult-like, weird religious people, and that's not cool. The Jews believed in things like kosher laws, eat this animal, don't eat this animal, and don't mix meat and milk, and they had all these kind of rules around their dietary and other things, and the Romans are like, you guys are weird, and then the Jews would do like animal sacrifices to pay for sins and atonement and, and slaughtering all this, and the, the Romans are like, you guys are weird, and, and the Jews believe that there's one God. We, we, we take that for granted now, oh, you know, God, we, the one God. The Jews were weird that way. They're monotheist, belief in one God. The Romans were like, we have Apollo, we have Zeus. Like, if one God is good, 20 is better. And the Jews are sitting there going, actually, your 20 gods are all fake. There's only one. It's Yahweh. That's the one we worship. And to the Romans, they're like, you guys are just really religiously, culturally, uh, politically, just you're just odd people. And so if you're a Jew in, the, in that first century, uh, that's what you're living with. And the Romans have conquered you, and they came in with their army, and they dominated everything. And then, to add insult to injury, they tax you to pay for the army that is now uh, in, your, in your place. Like, here, we're going to set up our army here, and we're going to tax you to pay for it. Like, how insulting is that? And if you're a Jew in the first century, you're, rela- you're connected to God. It's just that God has been very quiet for a while. God has been silent since the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, to when Jesus is born in 5 BC. Uh, there's about 400 years. So God has gone silent for 400 years. So if you're a Jew like Mary or Joseph, you remember, uh, okay, Moses part of the Red Sea. Uh, Abraham did his thing. Isaac, that was over here in Jerusalem. Okay, there's that story. You've got Elijah, Elisha. You've got these stories that you've been heard, but you have not heard from God personally. Your parents have never heard from you. You don't know anyone who has heard from God. It, the, the idea that God communicates to your people is such a distant memory. It's so far removed from you. 400 years. That's as close. Mary is as close to God having connected, spoken in history. Uh, 
before he speaks to her through an angel. Mary and a first century Jew is as close to God speaking as we are to Shakespeare. 400 years. That's how long ago we're like, yeah, I guess this guy lived in England and he wrote some stuff down. We still have his plays. I guess that's a thing. But it's so far removed from us. So God hasn't spoken for 400 years, twice as long, basically, as America has been a country. That's how long it's been since God spoke. And so you're feeling alone and you're feeling hopeless. And throughout Scripture, there's this promise in the Old Testament that God will one day come in and send a Savior, a Messiah, who's going to make it right. And it's called the consolation of Israel, that God will console Israel, that God will, will, will nurture Israel and take care of Israel. And so, God, uh, so everyone's waiting, when will God do this? When is he going to send the Savior? It's promised in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness, this was right, written about 750 B.C., the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And they're like, yes. And it says this, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we read that and it sounds like a greeting card. For unto us a child is born, right? It's a, it's a, you can picture the card. It's a blue greeting card. There's, star, there's a star over a little manger, right? There's like angels. It's light blue with some white writing. For unto us and opens up. Merry Christmas. May Jesus, remember that Jesus is the reason for the season or whatever it says in there, right? It's not a good green card, but it's just, there it is. Yeah. Um, but to them, that's not a greeting card. That's hope. That's God is going to work again and fulfill his promises. God is going to do something, even though he hasn't done anything for hundreds of years. And so Jesus shows up, and he, and he brings hope to the hopeless, and he upends the power structure of the day. This is why Jesus, when he shows up, he heals people. He uh, heals lepers. He, he um, teaches people. He brings them words of comfort. Jesus reaches out to the bad and the broken and the bored. Jesus does not show up to the, the very good religious people and show them how to be gooder or nicer or better. He goes to the, the people that are outcast and marginalized. And he says, no, God has hope for you. And it's, and it's going to be okay for you too. And he heals people and lives were changed. And he brings hope to the hopeless, starting with a girl named Mary. And we talked about her last week. She finds out she's going to be pregnant with God's son, Jesus, and she goes to see her cousin, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with Jesus' cousin, uh, John the Baptist. And, and there's this weird thing that when they see each other, uh, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb kind of leaps for joy when he's near Jesus in Mary's womb. It's kind of a, a weird thing. Um, and, and then after that, Mary sings. And she sings this song, uh, it's, it's known as the Magnificat, because in the first phrase she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she sings this song of praise to God, and I just want to read it to you, um, because I think there's a lot of powerful things in here, and I think it's a song of hope. It says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Listen to what Mary says there. She she says, man, God has favored me. He's been good to me. And she doesn't do this in a bragging way. She's not proud. She's very humbled by the whole thing of, of, of man, this is going to happen for me because of what God has done. And she, and she praises God throughout the whole thing for how he acts in history, how he is acting through her, how God will upend the power structure, how he's going to come and give food to the hungry, she says. And the rich are going to go away empty. Like the whole system is going to be reversed when God shows up and, and saves people. And, and she's challenged by that, and she sings what really is a song of hope. She's saying, God has brought hope to the hopeless, to the people who are feeling abandoned, God is with them. To the people who are drowning, God is throwing them a life preserver. To the people who feel like they're at the end of their rope, God says, I know you're at the end of your rope, now you can hold on to mine, and I will carry you to safety. And so Jesus' birth that we celebrate at Christmas and at Advent season is a reminder that God has not forgotten us, which is easy to lose sight of. If you're struggling to pay the bills, if you're struggling with infertility, if you're struggling with illness, if you're in pain, if you're in grief, it's easy to lose sight and to think God has abandoned me. But Christmas is a reminder that God walks into dark places and shines a bright light. So two things and then we're done. Number one, I want you to I want you to just remember the hope that you have been given. You know, the word encourage means to uh, pour courage into someone. And I don't know what the equivalent is with hope, but I want to like enhope you today. Like to, to, to be able to pour hope into you and to remind you that, that God um, knows you. And, and not just to remind you that intellectually, but hopefully stir your heart towards that. That your situation may look dark, but God has not abandoned you. I had maybe more of a speech I want to give you on that, but Amber said it so well up here a few minutes ago. I was like, I don't even need to preach today. Amber has is, is got it. Um, but, but maybe you're in a period of grief, and you need to be reminded that God is, has not abandoned you, um, even if you're not feeling it. We have to think through what are we actually feeling right now and what is actually the truth. And the truth is God loves you, and God is for you. And I get it. Sometimes I'm not feeling it either. We have a young church. We have a range of ages, okay, here, but, but relatively on the scale, we have a young church. Um, and so when I get asked to do a funeral, it's not for an 85-year-old member of our church who, you know, sort of slowly passed away into the night. Um, when I get asked to do a funeral, it's someone who's 50 or 40 or 30. I've done a 30-year-old's funeral in this room. And um, it's hard like, I'm a pastor, right? So I know what the right thing is. Like, I believe in heaven. I believe in the hope of heaven. I know about God's love, and I will teach it. And I know, like, maybe some of the answers. But like Amber said, I, sometimes I just feel not equipped because the emotional weight of some of these things are just so heavy. I I remember Robert Arvalo passing away last year, and some of you were in small group with him. You remember this as well. He was, a, he was a dear brother at this church, maybe about 40 years old when he died. And, uh, and I did that funeral, and I said the things that I needed to say, um, and I hope I was, to, I was able to in hope people in that moment. 
but in my own heart, it just, it just sucks. It just feels horrible. And um, that's the way it is sometimes. And I know a lot of you know <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes I'm not always feeling it, even though I believe it. Sometimes my head and my heart are in conflict over this stuff. And it's easy to lose hope. And so what I want to do is remind you of the hope that you have. And do me a favor. Will you remind me when it's awful, when I'm not feeling it, when I don't see an end in sight? Will you remind me as well? Because I think that's as a community what we should be doing for each other is to be pouring that out. Like when I'm low on hope, you come in and fill up the tank, and when you're low, I'll come in and and top you off as well. I I think that's how we're supposed supposed to be. So one, remember the hope you've been given, and two, and I I made this point last week about being alone, and and, and I think it so applies to hope, I I wanna make it again. I wanna challenge you and encourage you to lean into the community here to, to help you with your sense of hope. One preacher I've learned a lot from over the years is a guy in Chicago named Bill Hybels. Um, pretty well-known preacher. He's written a lot of books and, and just really had an incredible ministry for the last 30 or 40 years. And uh, there's this phrase that Bill Hybels says, and it's always stuck with me and, and inspired me. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. And I love that. And in fact, when I said nine years ago, ten years ago, let's plant a church in the city of Richmond, it was things like that that inspired me. It is the reason I'm a pastor today, because I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that something powerful happens through God's Holy Spirit in the body of the people when we work together. I believe incredible things can be done. And I believe the local church is the hope of the world. That's why I plant a church, and even though it's hard, and look, my job is hard at times, um, and, and I know your jobs are too. Like I've said a couple weeks ago, every job has its bedpans. Every job's got that thing you just don't want to do and take care of or whatever. And, 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 but even in, in bad days in my job, I still think, yeah, but I get to be part of this thing. I get to be part of this thing that is the hope of the world. For me, it's not about making money. If I wanted a job, I could do that somewhere else. It's not, uh, if I own a job makes a lot of money, I could do that somewhere else. If I wanted fame, there's probably another way to do that. It's not about those things. It's about being part and on the front lines of the kingdom of God. And the only way I would modify Bill Hybels' statement, he says, local church is the hope of the world, I would just say this. No, actually, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, let me nuance that. The church is Jesus' idea. If Jesus is the head and the heart of, of our faith, then he asks the church to be hands and feet. And so we are connected. We are the merchants of hope. We are the people who are sharing the hope of the world with, with the world. And I, I believe that to my, to my core. I believe that the church is meant to be an expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. And this church is not perfect we blow it sometimes. I have emails from people who will tell me how much Area 10 has had an impact on their life. And I've got a stack that I try to keep of encouraging ones for when I'm not feeling it, right? And I also have emails from people who have expressed how much they're unhappy and how much we've blown it and how they feel burnt 
by this community. And I hate that. I hate that that, that happened. I hate that, you know, decisions were made that were unpopular or whatever, like that, that there was a burn in relationship. I, 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 I don't want to be on the wrong side of things. I'm human. I want to be liked. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, but I still believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the church's mission outpost is his hands and feet in the community. And I just want to be a part, as imperfect as it is, I want to be there in the front lines doing something and reaching out. And I want to be with a bunch of people who have that hope as well and who believe it and who are ready and who want to go and who want to grow and who want to, and, and who want to see light shine into the darkest corners of, of Richmond and around the world. And I think a lot of you want that too. That's the heart I've heard expressed from people here before. I'm convinced that this message of Christmas is that Jesus, the hope of the world, has come and, and, is, and shined some light into the dark places. And, and we need to share that with us, that God has not forgotten us. That is a message that is needed because our culture is grasping at straws for hope. Our culture is grabbing on anything and hoping it'll give meaning and purpose and hope, and it just doesn't. Our culture says make money. That's not going to do it. The culture says chase after sex. That's pleasure for a little while, but it's not going to satisfy you. Our culture says if you get this education, if you have children, if you get married, if you do all of these things, if you check all these boxes, then you will be satisfied, and it won't work. All of those things, many of those things are good, but they were never designed to satisfy you. This is why St. Augustine said, our souls will not rest until they find rest in him. There's something in us that will never rest, that will never be satisfied until we are connected with our creator, the one who gives us hope. We are hardwired to be in a relationship with him. So Christmas means, Christmas means hope has come. And that means all that has ever been is not all that will ever be. All that you've been up to this point is, does not have to define all of what you're, you're going to be. I want you to hear from one more person, a, a tender old man, a, a guy who was friends with Jesus, who walked with him for years, one of his closest companions. And 30 years after Jesus died and resurrected, this guy wrote these words, a guy named Peter. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, there's this living hope in us. It's not dead. There's something inside of us that is alive and, and, and grows in, in hope. And what's the substance of the thing? It's not we have hope because Jesus was born. Lots of people were born. It's we have hope because of how he died and came back from the dead. That is the heart of Christianity. That this guy was dead and he came back alive. That's where our hope is placed. Because he showed us that we will one day die and can come back from the dead as well. So next week, as you go through this week and all the hustle and bustle of Christmas, I want you to remember this message of hope. And I want you to invite someone to be here with you next Sunday who needs hope. It's, it's probably a lot of people around you. It's, it may be you too, right? We're in here three times next Sunday, 9.30 and 11 like we normally are, and then again at 4.30. And, and bring somebody on your arm. Bring someone who's a friend, a coworker, someone from your sports team, from, someone from school, and say, hey, let's go hear about hope. I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about next Sunday. It's going to be a, a, a great day. Um, invite people in here to experience the hope of Christ and to help them feel that they're not alone. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message of Christ and how um, 
his appearance on earth brings peace and love and joy and all those things we talk about, but also really gives us, pours into us a sense of hope. God, I pray that uh, if someone in here is not filled with living hope, they will connect up with others in here and, and start to lean into that and uh, that this message will challenge them and um, they'll walk out of here more hopeful than when they came in. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.